Good morning, and welcome to the No and Do podcast. I am Justin Barton, a son of God and the host of the No and Do podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited today to release this interview that I had with Kurt Frankham, a podcasting mentor of mine and the host of the Leading LDS podcast. Now, as a way of introduction to the Know and Do principle, it is basically this. It is where knowledge becomes action, where education becomes application, where faith becomes works, where calling becomes leadership, and where stewardship becomes magnification, and where testimony becomes conversion. Know and Do started out as a daily devotional through which I shared my personal experiences of faith and hope and tied those to either either a verse of scripture from one of many sources that people all over the world consider as inspired and holy. And from those experiences and sources, I then issued an invitation to myself and in turn the audience to do what is now known. I have since started interviewing some leaders, professionals, or creators who have or are currently implementing the know and do principle in their lives. Now the next stage of the Know and Do project is to bring the listening audience into the Know and Do world. If any of the Know and Do episodes or Facebook posts have inspired a change in your heart or driven you to do something different in your life, I would love to hear about it. The plan is to do a regular How I Do What I Know quick interview of 10 to 20 minutes with regular people like me and you. If this pertains to you, even if you wish to stay anonymous to others, I would love to hear from you and have a discussion with you. There are some things that I feel are very important for me to share. First is that I am not in any way, shape, or form a perfect example of this principle. That is why the invitation is normally issued to myself and in turn to the audience. I need to apply these lessons in my life as much or more than as anybody else. I also do not pretend to be an expert on doctrine or on any of the subject matters that will be shared. I only claim to be one of God's children, walking through life the best way I can figure, just trying to be better, one day at a time, striving to do God's will for me, and sharing what I experience. If you do or have found know and do to be a positive influence in your life, please subscribe and review the podcast. It would also be super helpful and much appreciated if you went to Facebook and liked the Know and Do page. There are other projects and opportunities forthcoming to bring more value and opportunities to this project. Please keep your eyes and ears open, and when something is presented to you that brings light and value into your life, please share it with your friends. Now, before starting the interview with Kurt, I want to share really quickly his ambitious project that he is doing on Tuesday, November 28th, for Giving Tuesday. He will be interviewing 24 leaders in 24 time zones in 24 hours on the Leading LDS podcast. I would highly recommend that you tune in and check that out. It should be a very interesting experience with the opportunity to see how people from all over the world lead. Now, let's jump right into this interview with Kurt Frankham of the Leading LDS podcast. Thanks, Kurt, for joining me and being willing to do this interview with me. Uh, first of all, I'd like to get to know you and have the audience here get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you live, maybe where you have lived, a favorite hobby, and for my own personal weirdness, your favorite color. Nice. 
<laughs> you know, I live in a house with a five-year-old that's asking me that question about every day. So I've that's the one question I have down that I can definitely answer for you. But I appreciate you having me on your podcast. You know, I know having a podcast that I've uh, run and produced for a few years now, I, I realize the struggle and the, the sacrifice it is. A lot of people feel like uh, we just fall out of bed and, and create an episode. So I applaud you, Justin, for the good work you're doing. And, and I love the premise of, of your podcast and what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, a little background on me. Like you asked, uh, I, my name is Kurt Frankham, and uh, I am born and raised in West Valley City, Utah. And no, that does not mean I was in a gang or or in uh, organized crime in any, any degree. Uh, it's a great place to, to raise a family, in my opinion. And, <laughs> and uh, went to Granger High School, graduated in, in 2000, uh, served a mission in Sacramento, California, Spanish-speaking, jumped through all those uh, typical uh, Mormon hoops, as they say. What I do for a living, well, that's, uh, that's a, sort of a more difficult question to answer than maybe for some people. Right now, I am sort of in a startup phase with a, a nonprofit called Leading LDS, and our uh, mission is to enhance the leadership and ab- ability and capacity among the lay leaders in the LDS Church. And I say we're in a startup phase because I haven't really, uh, I'm not really drawing a salary from that now. I've been uh, focusing on it full time for uh, almost a year now, and uh, it's it's growing. The projections look good, and so I'm I'm sticking with it. And uh, you know, in the near future, there probably should will be a salary that, that grows over time. But aside from that, to supplement, you know, I'm actually a caricature artist and I do uh, corporate events, weddings, all sorts of things like that. I do live caricatures and uh, sit down with my computer and, and draw them out digitally on site. And I'll plug my uh, Draw You Funny. If you go to Instagram, you can see some of my caricatures uh, at Draw You Funny and uh, see what I do. And, and people love it and brings a lot of laughter to many events. And it's sort of a, a quirky a talent that I have. And people always ask me, you know, when did I when did I start doing it? And I always tell them when I was bored in church and a fast and testimony <laughs> meeting was always an ideal time to, to have one person after the other, you know, stand for a few minutes and I'd quickly draw them on the back of my tithing envelope. And then the bishopric would always be excited to take my tithing and see my, uh, see my pictures for, for that uh, meeting. So uh, I live awesome. in uh, Woods Cross, Utah right now, just outside of Bountiful. And we're just sort of in a transition uh, point as as we try and find a place to settle into. We had no intention of coming to Woodscross, though it's a great place, and we've enjoyed our, our time here. Uh, favorite hobby? Man, I guess, uh, I, I don't know, I, I tend to say that uh, my hobby is, I guess, drawing caricatures, but it's becoming more work that by the time I'm done drawing four or five hours, I I never, I feel like I never want to draw again, so... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess my hobby is always reading, and I love the science of uh, organizational behavior and, and digging into uh, you know books uh, that are are well researched and, and applying those things to church leadership. So that's I guess leading LDS is is more my hobby than not. So and uh, my favorite color. This is easy. I always tell my sweet Devery uh, five year old my favorite color is BYU blue. Even though this year. It's hard to make uh, BYU blue my favorite color, but uh, that's that's what she knows. So, well, very good. I appreciate that. And and you and I, we have a little bit of a uh, of things in common. I also was born and grew up until I was twelve years old in West Valley City, Utah. Oh, nice. And I would have gone to Hunter High had I oh, continued there. Well, it's a good so. thing you got out of town. That would have been a huge mistake <laughs> to go to Hunter. So <laughs> that's our rival. That's, that's what I understand. <laughs> No, that's great. So, so very good. We're, we're both West Siders. Yeah. West side homies. <laughs> yep. And I may have gotten into organized crime and gang living had I continued to live there. So I'm grateful that I didn't. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> All right.
right. Well, very good. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And I can appreciate your favorite color. Uh, another, I guess, semi-commonality. I, my parents had season tickets to BYU in 1984, the year okay. they won the, the national championship. So I went to several games that year and that was... I was only nine years old, but you know, yeah, hey, it's my hey, claim to I, fame. I was, I was too, so I don't have one, one memory of it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, Kurt, how I was introduced to you it was through your your podcast, Leading LDS Podcast, and it was back in the end of July of this year. I was just in the startup phases of my own podcast and just trying to get a feel for what was out there in the Christian and LDS world to see if there was something that already filled this niche that I felt inspired to do with the No and Do Project. And uh, as I was doing that, I came across yours and listened to an episode or two and became a subscriber because I felt it was um, very helpful to me in my own work in the church and just in my own general understanding of things. And and then a couple of weeks ago, um, you released an interview with David Farnsworth on becoming a master interviewer. Yeah, great episode. And I found, yeah, and I found that episode absolutely fascinating and helpful and very pertinent to myself. So I had a few questions that I wanted to follow up with you, and I sent you an email, and you were very gracious to respond, and we had a phone call, and I, I really appreciate that, Kurt. Thanks for yeah. the advice. Anytime. I'm always open for a phone Never. call to help a fellow podcaster. So, Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thank you. So what I'd like to do now is just to talk a little bit about how your own life, your own experience, may you may have some things that relate to the know and do principle, which, and I'll just define it really briefly here. I define know and do as where knowledge becomes action, where education becomes application, where faith becomes work, where testimony becomes conversion, where calling becomes leadership, to kind of steal a little bit from you, and where stewardship becomes magnification. So have you experienced that know and do principle in your life in a way that you'd like to share with with us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that uh, was the impetus to me starting Leading LDS, uh, and a lot of people ask me why I started it and... Uh, and what was the purpose early on? And I really just started, I was scratching my own itch. And after my mission, I uh, did the typical student ward. You know, I was in a YSA ward. Uh, that's actually where I met my wife, so they do work. And uh, I, I was in that ward and soon got called as the Elder Scorn president. And I was the Elder Scorn president for few months there, but it was it was a huge quorum, over easily over 100 elders, which uh, you're wow. typically not supposed to have more than 96, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Uh, that word already had two elders quorums that were about the same size, um, and it was obviously soon a split thereafter. But, you know, I was just in over my head, and I knew, you know, going with your premise of I was in that stage of knowing, like, you know, I, I know my role as a leader. I know what I'm supposed to do. I have a, a strong conviction of the restored gospel, of of the scriptures, what it's taught me, and the, the direction I'm being nudged in my life through uh, a divine presence, for sure. And, you know, early on, I just I just made a mess of things, in, in my opinion. I wasn't, I don't know, maybe making a mess of things is, is strong, but um, I just made all the typical mistakes. You know, I had the guilt trip lesson where I was pounding the lectern among the elders of my quorum about home teaching and and really mm-hmm. tried to focus and motivate everybody. And, and the next month, the home teaching percentage, percentage decreased a percentage. And, you know, I, I had called counselors, had no idea what to do with them. Uh, I, I spent most of my time in the clerk's office just rearranging um, home teaching routes and thinking mm-hmm. that was where the my glory as a leader was going to come. And well, I, obviously, like I said, I met my wife. I was probably elder scorn president uh, 
maybe six to nine months. I left that, and uh, after a year of marriage, we moved into a, a ward, and I was called into the bishopric, and I served as, as a counselor in the bishopric for a couple of years. And then that bishop got released, and uh, with that release came my release, and they immediately called me as the high priest group leader in that ward. And I thought, oh boy, here I am. I've done this before as far as, uh, you know, being the leader of a quorum or a group and, and it just d- didn't work. And I, I, I didn't want to make the same mistakes, you know, and, and I would go into a Barnes and Noble and I'd see bookshelves full of leadership books based around business and life principles and success. But there weren't anybody, there wasn't anybody talking about leadership principles in the, in the terms of how to motivate a group, how to give a, you know, a powerful, uh, speech, how to organize uh, a group effort and create vision for those you lead. And I thought, well, you know, I'm no leadership guru, but maybe I can establish a platform where I can bring those leadership gurus, bring those thought leaders and, and do that. And so, you know, taking action a lot of the time, you know, I knew, I knew what was needed. I knew what I needed. Uh, I, I knew that it wasn't out there from my searching. And so, uh, and this was in 2010, uh, that I was doing all this, and I just started uh, as a simple blog. I, I bought the domain name leadinglds.com, which is now leadinglds.org since we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I just started writing. You know, I started reading books of my favorite leadership books and applying those principles to the church context and to the church culture and to what I was seeing as uh, what I saw as an elders corps president, what I was currently seeing as a high priest group leader. And I was seeing great results from some of the application. And I just kept writing and, and putting things out there. I remember early on in in the history of leading LDS, it, I mean, it felt like me and my mom were only, only ones reading and <laughs> visiting the site. You know, I remember seeing the single digits or maybe double digits of, on my analytics and thinking, man, is this worth it? But there's just, there's just this internal drive of like, no, this is needed. You need to keep going, keep producing. And there were, there were moments where, you know, four or five months I would, it would, I was just dormant. Like I didn't do anything, you know, but I was always thinking, mm-hmm. I know I'm busy, but I'll get back to that. And I just kept getting back to that. And then after hundreds of posts of, of written posts soon, soon that turned into a podcast and that's sort of when it really got traction. And uh, that podcast turned into thousands of listeners and got more traction. And now uh, we're to a point where we were able to convert into a nonprofit and, and now we have webinars and, and virtual summits and, and really well-rounded resources of that are that and I get these incredible emails, you know, of from leaders that are saying, you know, well, we've applied this principle, even like yourself. You know, I listened to this episode with with Dave Farnsworth about interviewing, and wow, you know, I, I'm inspired. I'm going to change. I'm going to try some things that are said there, and uh, you know, that's I'm definitely not trying to solve the world's leadership problems or the church's leadership problems through leading LDS. But my goal is that if a leader's out there, you know, there's this term we use um, from a President Hinckley quote on leading LDS called the loneliness of leadership. And I know that there is the loneliness of leadership is real, especially among uh, so many valiant leaders that had no preparation or training to serve and lead as they're doing. And and it can feel very lonely. And so I want those leaders to feel like, uh, you know, there's a place for me to turn to, but again, going back to the, you know, the no and do uh, early on, it's, it's nothing but, but that no, and just hoping that as I'm taking action, that that no will turn into do, and that do will turn into a legacy that will uh, hopefully help leaders um, make a difference in their own respective quorum. So, is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I, thank you for sharing that. And and as you were sharing, you know, I've also served as an elders quorum president, and um, 
the the first time I did, it was very similar. I felt the 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 letter of the law, you know, the 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 pounding the pulpit at the front, saying "get your home teaching done" type stuff, and making sure the right companions are with the right families and and whatever else. It was a really difficult time for me at that time, and and for a couple of reasons, but mainly I think. I learned something there about the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law in leadership. Kurt, do you have any thoughts on that letter of the law versus spirit of the law when it comes to uh, know and do in leadership? You know, there's this famous quote, and you'll see it even mentioned in, I was in a teaching teacher council meeting this past Sunday, and uh, it was even referenced there in the manual. President Packer said, true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. The study of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than the study of behavior will improve behavior. Um, you know, and this is going back to the letter of the law and the spirit of law. I completely agree in this quote, but a lot of the problem, it's very ambiguous and it can be interpreted mm-hmm. in many different ways. And so people, a lot of the, some of the feedback I get with leading LDS is like, no, 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 we don't need to talk about the study of behavior, the study of uh, motivation, research. We just need to study the doctrines. And in my opinion, that's like, you know, telling somebody with mental illness, like, no, 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 no. You just need to focus on the the doctrine of the gospel and not worry about this research that's been done about mental illness, right? Just because um, one maybe isn't in the context of being sick or mentally ill, um, you know, and and even Elder Holland has has commented on on that, on mental illness about, of course, you know, we would give a priest a blessing, we would have faith and, and pray, but of course we would go to a mental health physician that could give uh, advice and, and direction. And I have the same opinion with um, leadership in the church. You know, so many times leaders get called and they think, okay, I've got a handbook, I've got the scriptures, I've got even possibly priesthood keys, and what I need to do is just ponder and meditate and uh, pray, and hopefully I'll be directed towards the answer. When we live in a world that has research upon research about some of these key simple issues that, that we deal with, right? And so a lot of the time I'll get emails from people that say, uh, one, one that typically it may be from a primary president, and they, they say, you know, I, I'm having a real problem with the, the teachers in my primary. You know, the, the kids are good, the kids are kids, and we do our best, but the teachers seem to be distracted. They're on their phones a lot. What tactic or what, what organization could I try to do that? And 90% of these emails of, uh, that I receive or, or messages we see online of, of people really struggling with this leadership dynamic in their calling, 90% of those questions could come back to the simple answer of, you need communication skills. You need to be able to be confident enough to sit down with that individual, with the teacher, have a one-to-one, in a loving approach, really have a conversation of understanding their goals their motivations of being there. Are they just there because the bishop asked them to? Are they wanting to make a difference? And how can you help as a leader, right? But that, there's no tactic. There's no like uh, simple passive aggressive way to to do that. It takes one-on-one communication with the ability or skill to do that. And you'll, you're never just going to get a skill just because you've been set apart as a leader, right? Of course, there's there's moments and, and flashes of those miracles that happen, but we should not depend on it, right? And so, you know, the, the study of doctrine absolutely can change behavior more than the study of behavior. But if individuals aren't even hearing the doctrine, if you've built a, a culture in your primary or quorum or, or group that doesn't even allow those that need to hear the doctrine to come, then that quote means nothing. 
because we can't right. even get the doctrine in their ears. And so the letter and the spirit of the law is, is, is a constant balance as a leader. And so many people just sort of default to the, to the letter of the law thinking, no, I'm, this is just what I'm supposed to do. And they, they wonder why it, it doesn't work like I did as a young leader, you know, wondering why my efforts weren't working. You know, we, we have a call to home teach and we should get out there and do that. And the whole, everybody in the quorum looked at me like, why should we follow you? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you're just the typical elders quorum president. <laughs> no, I appreciate that insight into the letter versus the spirit and working it as a balance. Is there any specific experience that you've had in your own work that you use that balance or maybe maybe you made a mistake in doing it that you'd like to share with us that could help us each learn? Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of my mistakes go back to that time as elders corps president uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, I did did stand and and make that mistake. I'm trying to think as my time is when I had opportunity to serve as bishop, after I was served as a high priest group leader, I was called as, as the bishop of, of that same ward. And as I've gone through these, there's, there's such different perspectives and understandings to gain because, you know, those, though they're all leadership, they, they come with different problems. If there's anything, like if a, if a leader came to me and said, okay, I'm a brand newly called bishop, leaf side president, what's one thing I could do? And I would say, Easily, the best thing you could do is establish a clear, clear vision and then hammer it into the heads of those that you follow every single week. You know, it's so easy in the church to just sort of go with the flow. You know, okay, we're in elders' quorum. Everybody knows somebody's got the lesson. Let's just uh, make a few announcements and get to the lesson. And, and I had a great mentor during my time as bishop. He actually uh, became our, our state patriarch. And he told me one day, never, ever let a quorum meeting turn into another Sunday school meeting. And I would preach that to all the elders quorum presidents say, don't you ever just default to the lesson. You stand there and you you create a vision that is so clear that they know the direction you're headed and that if you need to take 90% of that time and leave five minutes, two minutes to that instructor to maybe give a synopsis of what he was going to say, then then you do that. Because that core meeting has to be this unifying group that's out with a, a mission and a vision to accomplish. And I remember as, as a bishop, you're really, really taking this on, and I, I would tell my ward council, this is going to sound so crazy, and, I, and I'll probably get in trouble saying it, but I couldn't care less about home teaching right now. I could not care less. I don't want to hear it. Of course, you got to submit the report. You've got to do that, and that's fine. But that's not our vision right now. And the reason I said that is we were in a very transient ward. You know, a lot of apartments and people coming and going. And I had keys. I had been um, set apart with keys, a priesthood keys as a bishop to direct that ward. And so I wanted to get a clear vision statement in place. And the thought and uh, message keep coming to my mind was, how can you lead them if you don't even know them? And what that meant was I looked at the roles and there were hundreds of people that were just names on the roles. I didn't even know them. I didn't know if they still lived there or if they wanted to come or what their, their problem was. And so I made that a focus in every, every sacrament meeting. And there was some message said about that and every ward council, that's where our focus was. And we put a, a plan together to go out and knock on these doors and at least determine if they're even there. And we're not even at the point of determining if they want to come back or if they want to even participate in the gospel, but we've got to know the sheep that are in our fold if we're actually going to attempt to lead them. And so, you know, making that shift away from the the typical default, okay, we home teach, and we're not sure why we home teach, but we visit these people once a month so we can fill that checkbox, you know. And that that vision really it was huge for me, which early on as an elders corn president, as a young bishop, I didn't take time to really establish what that was and what my vision should be. 
what you shared there is very appropriate to my own personal life right now. We, our stake here has recently been reorganized and my family was put into a ward that didn't previously exist. So for the past two months, we've been building this ward from, from scratch and there are lots and lots of names on the, the roles that nobody knows. Um, so we're doing the same thing right now, going out and, hey, are these people here? Who are these people? Just getting to know them. Yeah, we got to know the sheep in the fold. I loved what you, how you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Do you have a favorite passage of scripture or two that maybe have influenced you to do what you know that you're willing to share and expound a little bit on for us? Yeah, you know, as I was preparing for this, the notes that you sent me to review and, and to ponder about, uh, the big one in here was as far as sharing a passage or two that helped motivate you to apply the know and do principle. There's a few quotes and, and messages my mind went to. The first one obviously comes from our experience in the temple, but there's a, a phrase in there that we hear over and over, which is filling the measure of our creation. And mm-hmm. that's been such a, a motivating thought and phrase for me as I've sat in the temple or even throughout life. And that that phrase has come back to me, what is the measure of my creation? And, you know, it's, it's been given to me, how can I fill it? And, and that's been so motivating from taking that, you know, knowing that that's true, knowing that I come from, or I have divine DNA in me, and I was placed here not to just, uh, you know, shuffle papers in, in mortality, but to really establish something and create a legacy, and, and not that it's, it's going to be an international or, or national uh, legacy or that everybody, you know, will, will know of what I've done, but, you know, what legacy can I place for my children. So when they look back on my life, they can say, you know what, dad was sort of a mess for a few years, but at the end of it all, looking back, he really did fill the measure of his creation. Another one that comes, uh, it's Moroni chapter nine, verse six. And this, I came across the scripture because there's been so many ups and downs in this, in this effort to establish a resource for lay leaders to turn to. And Man, it, it has been discouraging at times, and, and I remember this came at a pivotal time when I needed to read it, but in Moroni 9, verse 6, it says, And now, my beloved son, I mean, I mean, this felt like it was speaking to me. Notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently, for if we should cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. And time after time, as discouragement has come to me, I've been reminded of this, that you have a work to do while in this tabernacle of clay, and in in your efforts to conquer the enemy of all righteousness. So, you know, buck up and keep going. You know, lick your lips and get back to work. This is is important, and and, and that's moved me. And then the last passage, I can't emphasize enough, you know, if someone's going through a really difficult time and, and just just motivation is drained. Uh, check out Elder Holland's talk, uh, a high, and high priest of good things to come. And man, such a powerful word words as Elder Holland is good at, but the, the story he tells in that, that, um, is so powerful about his own personal experience when, when things just weren't going right. And, uh, and kind of the message that he has for himself in hindsight. And, uh, it, it's a motivating one. Is that the, the talk where he, he's envisioning going back to himself as, as a 20-something-year-old father of a young child or something and traveling across the, the country? Yeah, that that when one? his car breaks down several times, as he's, I think he's headed yes. off to graduate school, and uh, he tells himself, yes. just, just keep on going. You know, don't you quit. And uh, it's a powerful one. Don't you quit. Well, very good. And that kind of answers a couple of the questions that I was going to follow up here on this, but I'm going to still ask them a little bit here. 
what motivates you to continue this work? And I think you touched on it, but let's dig a little bit deeper. What motivates you to continue this work in leading LDS? If I was to narrow it down to one word, it's, it's legacy, like I mentioned. You know, um, and again, it's not to be famous. It's not that I don't need a bronze statue somewhere that uh, lives for eternity and people look back on what I've done. I, I don't mind if my name just fades away in the, in the history books, but for my children and, and my loved ones, you know, I want them to see legacy, that we are a family that establishes legacy, what, whether it's in our local communities, whether it's online, whether it's in a broader spectrum in the world. Um, and, and I come back to that legacy. And, and I'll tell you what, I have turned down several job offers that were very lucrative, but something drives me to, to keep on this road. And uh, wealth has not been uh, in my life at this point. And I think a lot of people, they, they kind of get caught in that that day-to-day rat race, right? That uh, I've got to just keep going to make make the bills. But and and I respect that, and not that I would discourage anybody to to do that. But to me, legacy has got to re- remain more important than wealth, because that legacy is something that will live longer than wealth and be more valuable than in, than wealth in the long run. Um, and that's what you know in the scripture in in Mor- Moroni is, is is speaks to me. It's like you're here to for a legacy, not to necessarily build wealth or to have, have nice things. You're here for a legacy. Is that legacy something that, I mean, as you look back at your um, ancestors, is there a legacy there that kind of drives you also, or is this something that you're like, oh, we're going to start something here? <laughs> this is the point where my dad starts to yell at uh, his podcast player because I'm sure there are <laughs> stories upon stories of, of uh, you know, people establishing legacy. Um <laughs> and and one uh, one confession here is I family history is probably one of the most difficult uh, commandments that I struggle with is <laughs> I, I I just can't get into it and I get it I get it there's so many listening things right. but like I can't stop doing family history and you're not doing it right or else you would love it and I get it I probably you're probably right but I uh, of course there are I look back to uh, you know my grandfather who passed away when my mother was 17 I've never met and he's uh, he's sort of been a, a stalwart character, um, it's sort of the the George Washington character or the Joseph Smith character that, uh, in, in my mind, I perceive as completely perfect and and a warrior that mm-hmm. never backed down and, and did things that were just unexplainable. And I think I realize that even with uh, George Washington, Joseph Smith, we we build those uh, characters up to be something that they really weren't. But nonetheless, it's motivating, right. you know. And I'm just so grateful. I guess the the legacy, you know, whenever I run into a Frankum. Uh, another Frankum in Utah, there, or or somebody says, "Hey, do you know so and so Frankum?" I always say, "Oh, we're probably related somewhere, but I don't know him because it all goes back to this family who my ancestors were made aware of the church in South Africa. They weren't really from South Africa; they were just passing through. Uh, you know, knowing that this this family made decision to, I think there were like ten brothers, Frankum brothers, that, that came over to Utah after hearing the church, and and now there's these Frankums running around in Utah and, and elsewhere. And I'm probably getting the story all wrong, which I apologize to uh, other Frankums <laughs> listening. But, you know, just, just being made aware of that there is sacrifice there. Uh, you know, I try not to romanticize it too much or make it more than it is. But wherever it begins, I just know that it, whether it needs to begin with me or not, that's who it's going to begin with, right? And I don't need to lean on the, the sacrifice of my ancestors to make a difference um, and, and to know uh, what I need to do and then act. Um, and But I'm grateful for that ancestry that helped me be aware of, of knowledge of, of truth so that from there, you know, I can move the football a little bit further down the field than they did. Very good. No, that's, 
Really neat. Uh, thanks for sharing that story of the brothers in South Africa. That's a really cool experience that not many people can share, I don't think. I've so. shared my the extent of my family history knowledge, so that's all I got. <laughs> and I'm ashamed of it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, get at it. You can, you can do it. It's, I know. it's great. It's, I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> hey, I've got just a couple more questions for you, and one of them that I'm, I'm really interested to know. Is there a particular interview that you've done on your podcast that has been most influential in your own life, in your own manner in providing leadership or living life? Yeah, I mean, I've had been asked that a time or two. You know, we have almost 250 episodes, and so I feel bad for people like you or others that are just finding leading LDS recently uh, that it's like, man, where do I start with this? But I don't know, just to search some terms and, and start somewhere. But uh, we had a post back, I do a post at the end of each year um, of the most listened to episodes of, of the year. And last year in 2016, the number one most listened to episode was an episode called What I Learned About Leadership When My Second Counselor Left the Church. And this was uh, my experience with the last second counselor I had as bishop. We got released, and uh, I, we tell this story, and because I, I, in this interview, I interview him, who's a good friend, obviously, and I treasure his friendship uh, even to this day. I interview him, and we tell the story about when, when we were released, like he just didn't even show up to church. And mm-hmm. I was sort of hurt by that. Like, man, this is sort of a time when we can reflect back on our time as, as leaders and serving and, and man, you're not even here and everybody's wondering where you're at. Right. But he was in a, in a state that he, he literally just, he was sitting at home. That's where he was. And he tried to think of every excuse to go somewhere, but he was in a place that he just couldn't do that. And we go into that, but what it really taught me, especially in this day and age, we want everybody to have this know and do experience, right? And hopefully a know and do experience that reflects ours. And over the time, I've had opportunity to interview some incredible people, some including Heath, one of my counselors, uh, others that mm-hmm. have left the church and come back. And as the reason I interview these people isn't necessarily to address doubts or you know historical issues or things, but I just want to understand as a leader, what can we do better, so that you know not necessarily so we can answer every last question, but we can recognize the nuance in the gospel, and mm-hmm. then make a place where they feel like. You don't necessarily need to believe like me, but I sure hope every Sunday you feel comfortable sitting in that pew and worshiping the God, no matter how you define that God, in some way that that is sanctifying to you. And so as I've done these interviews, most notably with Heath, it's caused me to pause and step back and, and realize not necessarily the, the, the issues with the gospel or the history, but more of the issues with the unintended culture that sometimes creeps up within our wards or groups or friends that we don't mean any harm by it, but it is, Mm -hmm. it alienates people at times. And so it's impacted me to be more aware of that. And it completely changed my leadership style of recognizing when I stand in front, you know, after I was a bishop, I was, I was in a stake presidency. And and when I stood in front of that stake, you know, speak to them, I needed to not just assume that everybody in that room is card-carrying, fully believing, orthodox member of the church. Mm -hmm. It's okay to make that assumption for the most part, but if we don't recognize that there are some uh, different spectrums of belief happening in there, we'll never, again, it goes back to that quote with, uh, you know, teaching uh, behavior versus doctrine. We need to teach that doctrine, but if we don't recognize the behavior that's happening 
and correct that behavior, they'll never have the opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, if they're not sitting in the pews, how are they ever going to interact with the Spirit in a way that maybe changed them? And I get it. I mean, people have spiritual experiences elsewhere, and um, and that's another thing I've I've probably learned is that I have seen more validation when people need to step away from the gospel from a while, from a bit. Of course, I would never wish that upon everybody. I've never encouraged that, but I get that sometimes people have been impacted in such a way that that journey away from the traditional experience of, of the LDS church has often brought them back and had a deeper, more stable interaction with their father in heaven. And that's what's changed me. You know, I, I have have been become less of a black and white Mormon, a stage three Mormon, as people would say. And, you know, though I've never what, experienced what I would call a dramatic faith crisis in my life, nonetheless, I felt my faith progress. I felt my faith, my belief become more nuanced while still holding to the, the concepts of the truth claims of, of this gospel and what's been restored and the purpose of that. And so that's how it's changed me. I've, I, I think I've, been, I've become more uh, empathetic towards those individuals who don't have that traditional journey and validated that journey and trusting in the Lord that he'll always be reaching out to them no matter where they venture off to in the gospel or away from the gospel. That's uh, very, very insightful. Thank you for sharing that. I also have um, friends, family um, who have, you know, and continue to walk similar paths where, you know, whatever they felt alienated by or, you know, whatever choices were made or um, whatever beliefs that they struggled with, that it's always good to be able to have somebody who understands or that at least validates those concerns and is able to talk to them and, and maintain that friendship and that love no matter what uh, is going on um, with with their faith walk at that time. I, I really love the tagline that you have in your podcast, become a leader, not a calling. Where did you come up with that? And tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> you know, where did I come up with that? You know, I know it's nothing I read anywhere. I think it just came organically from the message that uh, we were preaching early on because I, I realized that you can just be a calling in the church. And, you know, most people have them. Most people are a calling, right? Mm-hmm. But the difference that you make doesn't come from being a calling, right? And a lot of time people sit around and think, man, if if I was bishop, I want to do it that way. Again, not that they're like campaigning to be bishop, but they just sit right. there and think, wow, that's not how I would do it. And sort of fold their arms in the back and think, uh, well, I guess if this is how he wants to do it, we'll do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it, right? And, or even with right. the elders quorum president. You know, I, I wouldn't do that if I was elders quorum president, or I, I did that different. He's just missing it, right? Well, you know, that's great. We could all be a calling, but I, we all could sit there. Or even individuals who are, are called as, as the bishop and just think, okay, I'm, what I'm supposed to do is I sit up on the stand and make sure that the building doesn't catch on fire, and then I turn the lights off and lock the doors, and I go home, you know? And, of course, we've got some few interviews in there and meet with people. But to really step back in and look at, okay, I've got a calling, but how am I a leader? And why are we waiting around to be called as a leader in order to make a difference, right? If you see a problem in your ward, that if you don't like something— you know, go do, right? Go take action. Go go talk with some people. And you, you don't need to make a, a ruckus or or do something that's uh, inappropriate. Or, uh, But I, I loved it when, when individuals would set points with me as their bishop and say, you know, I'm just not liking this part. And, you know, something, I, I feel like something needs to be changed. And as you do that, maybe be very clear that I'm, I'm willing to do be the change. I'm willing to do something different. But 
you know, if we constantly just, it's so easy to get into that mode of, yep, we all get, well, what's your calling? Oh, my calling's this. Like, oh, a nursery. Oh, that's, uh, how's that going, right? Yeah. But, you know, I just interviewed Brad Wilcox last week, and that's his calling right now. Mm-hmm. He's in nursery. Oh, really? Yeah, and, awesome. and, you know, this is a guy who's written incredible books. He's been a mission president. He's been in a state presidency. He's been a bishop. He's, I mean, he has had, really had an impact, but to see how he approaches nursery, like, he's a leader, not a cult, right? And, uh, yeah. and so that would be my message is I get that we live in a culture where we sort of, all of our mothers hope that we become bishops someday or Relief Society presidents so they can feel like, oh, great, we, we did it. We, we got him through, jumping through those hoops enough that he became a bishop. And bravo, we've, we've arrived, right? But forget that. Like what, you can have the same impact that the bishop has in your ward regardless of your calling. Because if you look at what the bishop's role is, is it really comes down to has priesthood keys, right? So he he determines what ordinances can happen. And then obviously the, you know, meeting with individuals about transgression and confession, those things. Other than that, anybody else in the ward could do it. So if you see the bishop walking around before sacramenting, shaking people's hands, a lot of the bishops do that because, well, they're the bishop and I'm supposed to do that, right? I'm supposed to smile at people and, and welcome them. Well, why can't you do that? Right. And imagine if what if 20 people did that. Right. Or what if somebody stood the back of of the chapels, everybody exited and just shook their hands. That's something I did as a a bishop. And man, I I don't do it now. Why not? You know, why why can't I do that? And I get, you know, sometimes it's awkward and people (laughs) I get it. But the point being is that to really step back and think, okay, I'm you know, right now I'm the the fourth Sunday teacher in high priest group. But I, I guarantee you I'm not just thinking, well, I'm you know, fourth Sunday's over. I got a few weeks off. I'm constantly engaging. What what can I do to not step on anybody's toes, but to really have influence mm-hmm. here? And I, I believe it, that it's not about the calling. It's about the leadership. And, and that calling and that leadership calling is is a self-calling, one that when you take the opportunity to step up and, and make a difference. And so as far as where it came from, I think it just organically, oh, that's, I don't And I'm a marketing guy by trade. So I think these phrases and catchy things just come up. But but that's uh that's the message that's the core message and and really any as you got your your know and do any any platform any group uh, should should narrow it down if someone says you know what is it you do and and what we do is we help people focus on leadership and not on callings and we help leaders become leaders and not callings right so be a leader and right. not a calling awesome that was very inspiring I, I i some of the greatest leaders i had as a youth and even now as an adult are those who did not carry the stereotypical leader callings, you know, Bishop, Elders Quorum President, High Priest Group Leader, um, so on and so forth. They were instructors. They were assistant scout masters or, you know, those types of things where it's very easy for one to just sit back and say, oh, this is my calling and nothing else. I'm not going to do anything else outside of this. Yeah. But those who do magnify that, who take that and and run with it and do everything within their sphere of influence that they feel guided to do, make all the difference in the lives of everybody else around them. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily the bishop that does that. Sure, bishops have great influences and do amazing things and will always appreciate them and, and, and they can touch the individual lives, you know, as much or more than anybody else. 
but so can that um, assistant scoutmaster, yeah. for example. Yeah, and I'll give you one thing you know that your audience can take and, and to really where to start. I want you to take out this this phrase from your vocabulary. Never, ever, ever use it again. It's going to seem counterintuitive, but we're all home teachers. We're all visiting teachers, and so we're all going to sit in a, in a living room somewhere, interact with somebody, and maybe we'll give a lesson. It'll be great. And then, of course, at the very end of the lesson or the ve- very end of the, the visit, Justin, what do we ask? What can I do for is you? Is there anything can else we can do for you? The best thing you yeah. can do as a leader is to remove that phrase from your vocabulary. And instead, what, what I do is I take a moment, whether it's before the visit or during the visit, and I just stop and I think, give me a minute to think. I, I feel like there's something I could do for you. I home teach a member of the state presidency, right? And this guy is, he's got an empty nest. He you know goes to his meetings, does his work. They're not struggling at all. But I still sit there and I think, hmm, you know, uh, Sister Short, you mentioned that you make uh, these stuffed mushrooms for the leadership social that you do every year. I know this is going to seem weird, but would it be all right if I came over and helped you with that? Because you just mentioned it's it's kind of a it's a headache for you every year. You enjoy doing it, but it's just a lot of work, right? And so mm-hmm. really taking, being proactive, that's what leadership is, is being proactive and not just saying, well, you know, I did my calling. I went in there and said, is there anything we can do for you? And, uh, and they said no. And so I guess we'll just try next month and uh, I'll do my visit. But to really just step back and ponder over this, take it in prayer and say, what can I do for this person? And then just do it, right? Even if they don't give you permission. I promise you, if, if Sister Short doesn't let me make the mushrooms, I'm going to knock on the door when she's cooking them. I'm going to check in and see how it's going, right? And I'm going to pester, pester, pester. And I don't mean to be annoying. And obviously, uh, hopefully my my ability to gauge social cues will lead me in that. But nonetheless, there's always something you can do. But stop asking what it is. Just do it. Thank you. That was very insightful. So just one more question and then we'll be out of here. What... Uh, piece of advice might you have to someone listening that may be struggling in putting their faith into works? And then is there anything else uh, that you feel inspired to share that maybe we haven't touched on? Hmm. My mind goes, even when I hear the premise of your, of your podcast, which I love, I, my mind went to Elder Bednar's favorite scripture, which is 2 Nephi 2.14, uh, which talks about that we that, uh, God creates things both to, to act and things to be acted upon. And it would be such a valuable experience for any individual who's struggling and thinking, man, what difference am I making? Can I really be a leader and not a calling? And to just sit down maybe on a Sabbath when it's quiet or uh, during your personal study and draw a line down a piece of paper and write, act on one side and act upon on the other and say, well, how am I acting in life and how am I being acted upon in my life? How am I acting in my ward, in my branch, in my quorum, and how am I being acted upon? Right? And, and man, I think in that, what about the, the Sunday lesson? Is that lesson, are you acting during that lesson or is it acting upon you and you're just enduring it, getting through it so you can answer that temple recommend question of, yes, I, I strive to attend my Sunday meetings, right? Um, and what a, what a fantastic activity. That's, that's what I would say was to start. And one topic we talk a lot about, talking more and more about on leading LDS is this concept of shame. And it's so easy sometimes to sit back and look at, the LDS experience that others are having and think, man, I'm just, I'm just missing it. I believe in the the truth claims. I, I know I should come to church, but I don't know. You know, it, it's just not, uh, it's just not working for me or I'm missing something. Maybe I'm broken or I'm just not doing it right. Maybe I need to read my scriptures more or pray more or do these things right. And we, we hear that answer in Sunday school. Oh, you know, how can we do this? Oh, we should go to church. We should pray. We should read the scriptures. Right. But we need to step back and just realize, you know what? 
your experience is probably pretty normal than not. And, uh, you know, you, you may look at leading LDS and think, oh, maybe I need to do that. I need to start a nonprofit and find something to focus on. Sure, you, you can, but that's this is just my experience, right? It's not everybody's. And, and I just hope everybody realizes that there's a there's a beauty in the struggle while whilst in these tabernacles of clay that we need to just recognize and validate but maybe a place to start would would be you know how much action are you taking during your typical day as opposed to being acted upon all right remind us again how we can find you and leading lds in this project and service you're doing yes so you can go to leadinglds.org would be a great place or you can search us on facebook Twitter, uh, Instagram, we're, we're uh, leading underscore LDS. And uh, this is probably what I would be a good place to start. I'm sure many of you, if you are in leadership in the church or have been in the past, meetings are like the, the cancer of cancers when it comes to time and uh, effectiveness in church leadership. So if you go to leadinglds.org and join the, submit your email, there's a, on the homepage, if you scroll down a little bit, you can, there's a hour-long training that walks people through how to hold a one-hour presidency meeting and really make that meeting effective. So whether it's a ward council, presidency meeting, bishopric meeting, that would be a good place to start. And then subscribe to the podcast, you know, on Apple Podcasts, on any podcasting app that you use. Uh, search us there, Leading LDS, one word, and we'll pop up. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback and join us along the journey to helping people be a leader and not a calling. Thank you, Kurt. I really appreciate it. So in true know and do fashion, the invitation today is to become a leader, not a calling. I think that is a fantastic way of implementing the know and do principle. Once again, I highly encourage each of you to go and check out the Leading LDS podcast. It has a lot of resources for leaders of every calling, whether that leader be a primary teacher all the way up to a stake president. It's a fantastic resource for each of us to get to understand a little bit more about how we can follow the Savior by leading in His way and doing more than just the bare essentials of the calling. Also, just one more plug for Giving Tuesday, November 28th, to listen in and see what Kurt is doing on the Leading LDS podcast in interviewing 24 leaders in 24 time zones in 24 hours. It should be very exciting. Thanks again for tuning in to the Know and Do podcast. I really appreciate it. And as always, my experience is that the key to peace and happiness in life is knowing Jesus Christ and doing as he teaches. that way and if I had to tell you the truth I'm afraid I'd have to say that after all I've done and failed to do I feel like less than I was meant to be and what if I could fix myself maybe then I could get free I could try to be somebody else who's much better off than me but I need to remember this That is when I'm at my weakest I can clearly see He made the lame walk and the dumb talk And he opened blinded eyes to 
Wonder what life would be like if we let Jesus live through you.